Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. gospel reading today is the last part of the, of the ninth chapter of Luke. Speaking of Jesus, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But 
Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, last week, we read and listened to the story of Elijah and his journey to escape the wrath of Jezebel after he had beaten the priests of Baal and killed them with the battle of the gods up on Mount Carmel. Elijah running to the mountain in the desert where God was. We heard how God listened to Elijah's fears, how God showed God's power through the wind and the earthquake and the fire, and how God gently whispered to Elijah, sending him back through Israel, where Jezebel's army was still searching for him, sending him completely through Israel to Damascus in the far north. And today we get the continuation of that story. We pick up when the Lord is talking to uh, Elijah at the cave. The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Now Aram was the name of the land surrounding Damascus. It's the heart of modern Syria. Hazael was to become king of that. God's also said, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Jehu was to become the next king of Israel, and replace Ahab, the evil king who worshipped Baal. And God said, Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Mehoiah, to succeed you as prophet. A man named Elisha was to replace Elijah as God's prophet. Notice that in each case, Elijah was to anoint these men, to pour oil over their heads, which was the common way in those days for God to appoint a man as a leader. God said, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Now, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Bloodshed was coming. The evil regime of Ahab was to be destroyed, and despite all the efforts of Ahab and Jezebel to convert Israel to Baal worship, there were 7,000 true believers in the Lord Yahweh still in Israel. God would honor those true believers by removing the reign of Ahab and Jezebel. And so Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Now this was quite a wealthy farming operation. Elisha was plowing with 24 oxen, huge cattle, 
Furthermore, the writer wanted us to know that Elisha was a hands-on type of farmer. He was driving the twelfth pair himself, not leaving it to the hired hands. So Elijah went up to Elisha and threw his cloak around him. In older translations, the word mantle is used instead of cloak. And it's from this that we get the idea of put his mantle upon him to denote a successor in business or in government. Elisha, with his new cloak, then left the, his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? Elijah was saying that the decision to follow or not was Elisha's. So Elisha left him and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. That's a tremendous sacrifice. That's a lot of money. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elisha, by burning his oxen and plowing equipment, and giving the meat to the people, probably his employees, he'd left behind for good his wealthy, large land holdings and farm. Remember that wealth in those days was not measured in money in the bank. It was measured in land and livestock and equipment. Elisha's action was as shocking as we hearing that Jimmy Colombo had given away his restaurant, or Jim Justin had turned over his coal mines to the miners. It was like a trucking company owner handing over his trucks to his drivers and walking away to become a pastor. Or Bill Gates completely shutting down Microsoft and giving every employee a million dollar severance package. Elisha was telling everyone who knew him that he was finished with farming and he was going to follow Elijah as Elijah's servant. He was committed to a new life. When I started in ministry, I was part-time with a pair of churches in Pleasance County. They bracketed within five miles my parents' home. Plus, I was going to seminary full-time, mainly over the internet. We still had our home in Lowell and a business selling inkjet ink over the internet. I was working as a teacher at Parkersburg Catholic High School and taught evening classes at WVU Parkersburg, all this at the same time. I was very busy for three years. But there were several ways that still I could have gone. I had the ability to make that decision. I could have focused upon growing the ink business, or I could have focused upon teaching, either at high school or in college, or I could have continued in growth in the ministry. And then I was offered a full-time ministry position in Clarksburg. I had to make a commitment to a new life. I had to give up my jobs at the high school and the college, we sold our home and we shut down our ink business. We even had to leave behind the accumulated treasures and junk from our life up to that point, which filled a multi-story home, a garage, and a 40 by 40 foot building. Some of you may have that much junk too. We left behind 85 fruit trees, 20 blueberry bushes, 50 grapevines, and we left behind friends in Marietta and Lowell and we moved to Clarksburg. This is my story, but it's also the story of most pastors and those who lead churches. There comes a time when we have to decide which is more important, our life, our home, our friends in the world around us, or working for God's kingdom. Many pastors make this decision when they're young, college age, or just out of college. 
is similar to the career commitments that most people make coming out of college or high school or trade school. But many other pastors make this decision later in life as I did when I was in my 50s. Our children are affected by God's providence. Our older son and youngest daughter were moving out about the same time we moved. One went to China for graduate school in September, and the other one went immediately to Alaska. So only Andy really moved with us. But the move affected more than just our immediate family. I had to leave my parents behind in St. Mary's. What used to be a quick stop after church on Sunday now became an hour-long drive each way. Our two cats were affected. In Clarksburg, one went, ran away. She said, I did not like Clarksburg. And the other was killed by an encounter with a raccoon. And, she said, and the first one said, I told you so. <laughs> our Shih Tzu puppy was very stressed by the move. And then there was our former neighbor. Bill had a bad heart. He'd been sent home on hospice 18 months earlier. And our sons had taken over mowing his lawn on hot days. But Bill kept going. Hospice finally gave up on Bill and they walked away. But Bill kept right on. The day we packed up the U-Haul, he said to his wife sadly, I guess they're really moving. He walked outside, got on his lawnmower, began mowing and had his fatal heart attack. Fifteen minutes later, he was dead. We hadn't realized how important we were to him as neighbors, but we made new neighbors in Clarksburg. We became close friends with them, just as we've made new friends here. We affect the people around us. Elisha eventually took over from Elijah. One day, Elisha witnessed Elijah taken into heaven on a fiery chariot and then took over Elijah's ministry. For God, you see, has always provided prophets, men and women who speak on behalf of God. Elisha did even greater things than Elijah had done in his ministry as his ministry developed. And when Jesus came along, the number of prophets expanded greatly through the action of the Holy Spirit. Well, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. You see, the Samaritans still worshipped at Mount Gerizim instead of at the temple in Jerusalem. For this they were despised by the Jews. And you know that dislike was reciprocated. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews much either. And so when they heard that Jesus was headed to Jerusalem, they did not welcome Jesus. Well, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, though. I want you to notice that James and John, they were feeling very strong that day. They felt they had the power of Elijah to call down fire from heaven, and they were ready to call for God to destroy those people who had not welcomed Jesus. And don't we have people like those two disciples today? Don't we have people who want to destroy the people who don't live a godly lifestyle, the people who make fun of God and Christ, the people who do not welcome Jesus today? Yes, these folks exist. And just like James and John, there are often people who attend church regularly, who are supposed to be close to Christ, who are seen as leaders in the fellowship of believers, 
But Jesus still rebukes these sort of people, Christians who hate others and want them destroyed. For Jesus always tried to convert his enemies rather than destroy him. You see, people who do not accept Jesus do not need destroying. They need loving. People who don't accept and welcome Jesus are to be pitied rather than attacked. People who will not come to Jesus, you see, will find one day they will find themselves alone, apart from God and God's protection. And alone like that, they will destroy themselves. There's no need for us or God to destroy them. For the essence of the afterlife is whether you want to spend eternity close to the God who laid down his life for you, protecting you and defending you, or spend eternity alone, apart from God, fighting against all the other creatures who have refused to bow to God because they want to be in control of everything just like you do. Eternity protected by the God who loves you or eternity fighting to be on top. That's the choice that we all have to make. So today we need to turn away from those who would like fire to fall from heaven on others. Those others who reject Jesus will eventually find themselves in an eternal fight. And those who want to send fire onto them, they've missed a key message from Jesus, which was treat others as you would like to be treated. Well, that day, instead of calling down fire from heaven, Jesus simply led his disciples to the next village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, you know, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, if you truly want to follow Jesus, you can expect to be homeless. As a pastor, I don't own a home. Every few years we have to move to another place. When I retire, unless I die in the pulpit, I'll have to buy a home when I retire. And I'm still paying on my student loans from seminary, so it's very hard to save for that retirement home. And Jesus said to another man, follow me. But that man replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And the man meant that he wanted to wait until his father had died before following Jesus. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the word of God, the kingdom of God. You see, there's always an excuse, but Jesus wasn't having any of it. He wanted this man and us to get to work proclaiming the kingdom today. Still another said, I'll follow you, Jesus, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now this seems reasonable. It was what Elisha had done, right? But Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now looking back from a plow was an expression which spoke of the lack of confidence of the man who kept looking backwards at the furrows he plowed. You know, you cannot plow straight if you're looking backwards. A man with confidence knew when he was plowing straight, but a man who kept looking over his shoulder to see where he'd been was nervous, not a man who knew right from wrong, but he was always second-guessing himself. And the difference between this man and Elisha was this. Elisha had made his decision. He, as was seen by his return to the field, his killing of the oxen, oxen and burning of the plowing equipment. This man, though, talked to Jesus. Well, he apparently 
didn't show much confidence. What he was really saying that day was, I need to go and discuss this with my family. So Jesus spoke of looking back while plowing and how this made a man unfit for service. There are always people who will be second-guessing decisions any church leader makes, telling him or her that the plowing is not straight. But the man or woman who chooses to serve in the kingdom of God must think deeply, pray extensively, and listen carefully to the voice of the Holy Spirit and then step forward boldly. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, once responded to a question about whether a course of action was sin. And Luther said, if you must sin, then be a sinner and sin boldly. Luther meant that there will always be the possibilities that you're making mistakes, that you're doing wrong with a course of action. But the man of God should consider the situation carefully in light of Scripture and the Holy Spirit, and then taking the chance that he or she has made the wrong decision, even a sinful decision, should step forward boldly. For Christ forgives all sins if asked. Christ is much stronger than any sin. The man or woman who can admit their mistakes and accept the loving discipline of following Christ can be bold and accomplish great things with God's support. Be bold. The Apostle Paul took this theme of having confidence in following the guidance of Christ and the Holy Spirit very strongly. In his letter to the, to the Galatians, fifth chapter, Paul reminds us that we're no longer slaves to the law, not to worry about the details of the law. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, Paul says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Those who follow the law can easily damage and hurt one another, constantly pecking at each other over little details, destroying happiness, giving guilt to people who never intended evil by their actions, hurting each other over small things, when the guiding command should be, love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul comes back and talks again about listening to the Holy Spirit. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're, they're fighting each other. They're in conflict with each other, so you don't do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let the Spirit guide you in your daily actions. Don't get so caught up in following the law that you destroy yourself and others. I knew a man, a good Christian man, who could not get this single verse. But you are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. Instead, he kept finding things in the law for him and his family not to do. He kept going back under the law, even the dietary laws, avoiding pork and shellfish. He began wearing a long beard. He did this because it was easier to find the black and white rules of the law than to listen to the spirit that spoke into his heart and to simply love his neighbors. He'd rather follow laws than love neighbors. 
He did not realize what a burden he was placing upon himself and his family and his neighbors when he spent more time with the law rather than in listening for the Spirit's guidance. Well, Paul then continues on how we can tell the difference. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And he says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, tells us that the flesh really wants to rule us. But he also tells us that this is the way to destruction. Those acts of the flesh, you see, are the flashing warning lights that were controlled by the flesh and were not listening tightly enough to the Spirit. We need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, as Paul wrote. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, Paul says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've hung it up on the cross, and it's dead. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Notice that Paul is not telling us to seek love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control through our hard-fought efforts. He's not saying work really hard for this. So many people try to work hard to do these things. But Paul points out that these are the fruits of listening and obeying the Spirit's guidance. We have to listen to the Spirit. These virtues naturally and easily fall out if we simply focus on listening and obeying the Holy Spirit. So focus on listening and obeying the Holy Spirit. And one day you're going to look up and find that in your life you have love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And won't that be a pleasant life? So how do we have a life which allows us to focus on listening and obeying the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself whether you truly trust that Jesus will protect you and your family. If so, then turn and follow Jesus. No excuses. Begin to proclaim the kingdom today. Follow Jesus today. Do what the Spirit guides you in. Do what you see in the New Testament. Walk as closely as you can to Him. Stay focused upon Him and the Spirit's guidance, and the good things will happen. I went into ministry because I could not focus upon Jesus by remaining in the world. I knew that the world was full of distractions, that I was spending far more time responding to the world than I was growing closer to Christ. I knew I was making so many decisions because of what the world thought was best than what the Spirit was telling me. And many of those decisions were being made because of the pull of house and property and retirement plans and such, so I chose to go into full-time ministry when the door was opened. What's happened to us over the years since I became a full-time pastor? We paid down much debt, almost completely out. I generally sleep better at night. I don't worry about nearly as many things, and I get to help more and more people understand the way of Jesus Christ. And I think my personality has begun to show the fruits of the Spirit, and yours can too. Become a leader in God's family. 
whatever that means in your life. See you next week. Now join us at the altar as we sing this song. Please stand as you're able. Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky, the heavens are the tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy, the universe declares your majesty. You are holy, holy, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of heaven and earth. <clears throat> Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.